BJ Oncology is live in Chicago at ASCO 2022. We're speaking to leading experts across the field of oncology about the biggest updates being presented at the Congress. Here are our highlights from day three. First, we caught up with Jean-Pierre Girard of Centre Antoine Lacassagne about updates from the OPERA trial for rectal cancer. The rationale of the OPERA trial is that, of course, surgery is the main treatment of rectal cancer. But when you perform surgery, you remove the rectum and the life is not so much comfortable after that. And we know from Abergama in Brazil, a surgeon, that when you give radiochemotherapy, we can sometimes sterilize the tumor. And if there is a clinical complete response, we can avoid surgery. And we also know from Papillon in Lyon some 40 years ago that when give contact therapy through the intracavitary approach, you can increase the dose and increase the sterilization rate and the organ preservation. So the rationale of the OPERA trial was very simple. First, in selected rectal cancer, OPERA means organ preservation in early rectal cancer. In this early T2, T3AB less than five centimeters, to compare the standard treatment at Bergama, six weeks of radiochemotherapy versus five weeks of radiochemotherapy, like in Abergama, but to replace the external beam boost by a boost with contact therapy, three fraction, 30 gray, each fraction, 90 gray, three fraction. The trial was a control open label trial where participating center was in France, four centers, in UK, four centers, and in Switzerland, one center. We included 141 patients between June 2015 and June 2020. And the hypothesis was to double the rate of organ preservation. And the results now is known. The median follow-up time is now more than three years. And out of the patient treated with the standard treatment, Abergama, the organ preservation rate was 59%. And in the opera contact arm, it was 81%. It was highly significant with hazard ratio of 0.030, very high. And in this trial, we stratify the tumors in two categories, the tumor more than three centimeters and the tumor less than three centimeters. And when the tumor was less than three centimeters, we started with contact therapy and then we gave the chemoradiotherapy as a bergama. And when we start in this tumor less than three centimeters with contact therapy, the conservative rate at three years is 97%. Out of 30 patients, 32 patients, we have only one failure. And in the uh, other arms, without contact therapy, instead of 97%, it is 61%. So it is very, very highly significant. And the conclusion is that probably in this selected small tumor, less than three centimeters, T2, T3A or B, contact therapy first and chemoradiotherapy can be a standard treatment 
to protect the rectum and save the rectum. We also spoke to Jonathan Rosenberg from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center about the 24-month follow-up results from the EV301 trial for urothelial carcinoma. EV301 was a randomized phase three trial of infortumab vedotin or standard chemotherapy in patients with metastatic bladder cancer or upper tract urothelial cancer um, who had progressed on a prior platinum therapy um, and also on uh, a checkpoint inhibitor. And so those results, the initial results showed a survival benefit for patients receiving infortumab vedotin. It was the interim analysis, and this represents the final analysis. Uh, the inter well, I should say the interim analysis became the final analysis, and this is a long-term analysis that was reported at ASCO 2022. And so we reported the 24-month follow-up of patients um, on study um, and showed that there was a 10% increase in two-year survival from just shy of 30% uh, for infortumab vedotin compared to just under 20% um, for patients treated with standard of care chemotherapy. And while that's not a spectacular number in itself, um, we had not been thinking of 30% of patients being alive um, two years after third line therapy in the past and really shows that uh, there are patients who get significant benefit from infortumab vedotin. Um, and the results uh, confirm essentially the interim, the interim and final analysis. Uh, the toxicity profile um, hasn't really changed since the initial report. There were a couple of extra cases of uh, rashes, but most of the um, skin toxicity that occurs within Fortumab occurs early in the course of treatment. Ava Segalov from Monash University discussed the Sorosnet study, which looked at the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine in cancer patients. The Sorosnet study is a large study of Australian cancer patients children 5 to 12, adolescents 12 to 18, and adults with cancer on all sorts of treatment uh, and looking at their serological response to COVID-19 vaccines. We're also looking at their quality of life and patient reported toxicity. So it's a very comprehensive study we believe we're uh, one of the only cohorts looking at that younger age group. And of course, patients with cancer weren't included in any of the seminal studies of the COVID vaccine. So we're still collecting because actually we originally uh, were designed as a two dose vaccine study, but as you know, the vaccine's been extended and we have some cancer patients now at their fifth dose in Australia. So we've got serial collections of their antibody response uh, and also we've collected peripheral blood mononuclear cells to look at really two aspects. One is uh, the cytokines stimulated by the vaccine interferon gamma and other cytokines. And the other is uh, to look actually at some epigenomic signatures that may predict how the T cells respond to the COVID-19 vaccine. So that's exploratory work. We're also assaying for whether people have had COVID, whether symptomatic or not symptomatic, to see the impact of that on the vaccine. And we've got very detailed clinico-pathological demographic, and as I said, serial quality of life studies. So early results were presented uh, we had two posters here at ASCO. One was presenting some of the serological data. And the bottom line of that is about 30% of hematological 
patients with haematological malignancies don't make a good antibody response even after a third dose. Uh, the good news is that most patients with solid cancers, whether they're on chemotherapy or not, make a very good response, and particularly after a third dose. So it may be the third dose is, is the magic number, uh, but we're also interested to see how long that response lasts. Uh, the other good news, and we had a poster on this, is that the patient reported toxicity for serious toxicity is very low, less than 10%. And importantly, we found minimal impact on the delivery of cancer care. So we can now tell our patients that we have data to show that if they get the COVID vaccine, uh, that it won't impact on their cancer care, getting their next treatment, etc. So we're very grateful to our funders, Cancer Australia and the Victorian Cancer Agency for allowing this uh, collection of uh, and processing of these uh, samples. We're very grateful for our patients who have come in for serial blood tests and filled in all sorts of questionnaires. We know COVID isn't going away. Um, although we might pretend it is, but certainly for cancer patients, knowing whether they're protected and on an ongoing basis is really important. Um, and we've got to make sure that not only are they safe, but they're also psychologically safe. They're able to participate in society. So further results from our study will look at all of these issues. Some of the data we're collecting is whether patients were on steroids at the time of the vaccine. And there does seem to be some association, even with fairly low dose anti-emetic type, short doses of steroids. Uh, so we're hoping that we'll get from this very large cohort, some idea about the optimal timing of when you should have the vaccine relating to chemotherapy. Um, we also want to know whether we need to keep boosting patients with vaccines and so having data from the fourth dose and, and even the fifth dose in some patients uh, will be very important and then we'll be able to do some analysis on the type of chemotherapy, uh, the type of we're collecting people on targeted therapy, immunotherapy, so we may actually be able to really refine guidelines for when and how often patients with cancer should be immunised. Bruna Pellini from Moffitt Cancer Centre gave us an overview of some important considerations for utilising ctDNA in clinical practice. So it was a very heavy packed session, so I kind of tried to introduce all the applications that we have now available. I think the main points are that ctDNA is here to stay and we may use that for molecular profiling uh, when we have patients with advanced disease that we want to make sure they don't have those targetable mutations that really can guide the therapeutic decision. So you may do that on a daily basis in your clinic. And if you do find one of those genes, you can act on it. You don't wait, need to wait on the tissue next generation sequencing. That's number one. Everything else that I'm gonna tell you that is highlights, it's not something that for the majority of cancers we can use. So for instance, MRD detection. This is an area that is, uh, there's a lot of research, but only colorectal cancer, we have commercially available platforms to detect minimal residual disease. But for the other solid tumors, this is only in the context of research that clinicians should 
order that. I wouldn't order that in a daily today clinic because what are you going to do with the result? Because you cannot act on it yet. So you're just going to make yourself anxious and the patient's anxious. The other thing that we may do is molecular response, meaning that let's say you start your patient in a therapy and you want to see if they are responding early on. There are essays that you can test, but then again, what are you going to do with that result? It's not like you're going to change your therapy. So the only application that I think is valid is sometimes we have patients with CAT scans that we don't know if the disease is growing or if it's a treatment-related change. That's when this test is valuable because then you can rest assured that this is working and you don't need to repeat the scan so soon. And the last thing is early cancer detection. This is an area that there are big studies in, the, in Europe and also here in the States, testing different platforms. But that's not something you should order for a cancer screening as of now. It's, it's, it, it's on its infancy, in my opinion. So those are the main applications. Finally, we heard from Takeyuki Yoshino of the National Cancer Center Hospital in Chiba, Japan, about results from the Paradigm study. Paradigm is the first, the prospective clinical study to test the superiority of panitumab over bevacizumab in combination with the standard chemo modified for six treatment in patients with last white type uh, metastatic corrective cancer. The findings in the primary endpoint is that the uh, overall survival in the left-sided population, if positive result, we move forward to the uh, to test the OS in overall population to define both the left-sided and the right-sided population, hierarchical way. So results show uh, we uh, uh, got the uh, survival benefit at the primary endpoint of men in the left-sided population as well as the right-sided population with a hazard ratio around 0.0, 8 to 0, and so favoring the panitumab over bevacizumab. So secondary endpoints showing the some of the one uh, response rate and the R0 curative resection rate is very higher uh, in panitumab over bevacizumab. So in conclusion, my presentation is that a new standard of care of the panitumab modified HOLFOX-6 treatment over bevacizumab plus modified HOLFOX-6 in patients with less white type, left-sided uh, tumor population. That covers the highlights from day three of our interviews. Stay tuned for more roundups throughout the Congress and be sure to follow us on Twitter for live updates. Head on over to vjoncology.com for loads more interviews, podcasts and roundtable discussions as we bring you all the highlights from ASCO 2022.